Please be seated. Our scripture reading today comes from Ecclesiastes 12, verse 9. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words that what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads, their collected sayings like firmly embedded nails, given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making books there is no end, and a much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard, and here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. This is the word of the Lord. All right, here we go. Um, if, if this is your first week or you haven't been in a while, uh, it's kind of a weird time to be here uh, because we're in the very last sermon of a series. Uh, so we've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, kind of a, a high elevation overview of the book, and we've been looking at different themes. Uh, we're coming to the end. So I'm going to do my best to bring you in on what we've talked about, but just know if there are things like, uh, I don't get the context of that. You can go online and listen to the sermons, <laughs> I guess, you know, um, but it's... It's the last uh, in the series, um, and, you, and oh man, I'm, I'm really excited about this, um, Union Church fam folks. Um, the next series that we're doing, uh, it, it's uh, called Kingdom Come, and, and we've, been, we've been talking about this. I feel like week after week, at some point, we want to interject it in because we, we don't just exist to just do church. Like, there's a lot of churches Right. And, and when people are like, well, why one more church? Right. What what I don't think that we need and what I don't think that we need to gather together to do is just to be another church that like tries to get big or that does the Sunday thing. And that's it. Like that's that's not what we're about. Right. We are a like the church is. I can't do it without going to scripture. So Matthew 16, Jesus, this is the first time the word church is used in it. I'm getting ahead of myself, almost into like three weeks from now. Uh, but uh, Jesus, it's the first time the word church is used, and Jesus says it in the context of this. Uh, he's talking to his disciples, and he's like, I've done a lot of stuff, right? And he has. He's, he's performed a lot of miracles. He's done a lot of things. And he says, who do the people say that I am? And... They're like, well, some of them say you're a prophet or a really good man, right? Like, this is who the people think that Jesus is, that he's a prophet or a really good man. And he asked his disciples, well, who do you say I am? And he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, is what Peter says. The Christ, the son of the living God. You're our hope. You are the hope of the world, right? Like, that's wild, right? If, if, if I, if I were to stand up in here and say, like, who do the people say Sean Cross is, you'd be like, well, they don't really say anything about you. And, like, the ones who do, it's like, oh, he's a dad or he's whatever. 
And I would say, like, well, who do you think I am? What you wouldn't say is you're, you're the Messiah, the hope of everything, right? And if you did, we'd be a cult, right? Like, that's, that's not good, right? Like, we're, it's not about me. I'm nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody, right? And, like, that's, that's it, right? But Jesus, Jesus, his disciples are like, Peter's like, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And whereas I would say, whoa, how do we get there? Jesus doesn't correct him because he's saying, no, Simon, you're right. You're right. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but, but my spirit, my father. You're Simon, and on this rock, on you, on this confession, I will build my church. And now I need you to hear this, because we love to talk about church, and this is something we get to talk about in the series, Kingdom Come, but Jesus loved to talk about the kingdom. He only says church twice in all of the Gospels. The rest of the times, he's talking about the kingdom of God. It's at hand. It's here. It's within you. The kingdom. Like, he prays, and he doesn't say, uh, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your church come, your will be done. He says, your kingdom come, right? But this is the, one of the two times he says church. And, and he says, on this I will build my church. And he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against it, right? That phrase is interesting because we often hear that and we say, all right, well, what that means is that no weapon formed against me shall prosper, which is biblical, which means like if we just gather in here and sort of huddle up as a church, you know, we just watch out and we see it, right? Because, man, nobody loves to like be a martyr like the American Christian, right? Like not everything is somebody trying to hurt you, but we, we huddle up. And if we huddle up, then like nothing can go against us. But um, full disclosure, my favorite movies are fantasy and like superhero movies, like sci-fi fantasy. That like, I think that's... That's my wheelhouse, right? I saw, I saw Civil War, and it's fantastic. And this is in the trailer, right? The best scene in Civil War, not really, but like the coolest scene in Civil War is the scene where like Team Cap and Team uh, Iron Man are like, they're coming at each other. You know what I'm talking about? They run at each other, right? And then like uh, Falcon starts to fly, and like Iron Man and, and uh, uh, how many war machines start to, do you know what I'm talking about in the trailer? Have you seen the trailer and they come like this? This is a common thing. Like this is the best scene in about a thousand movies. It really is. Whether it's Braveheart or the Lord of the Rings in every like great movie, right? Like uh, maybe not Academy Award winning movie, although I feel like sometimes they should. Could you imagine if like, I don't know, in the, uh, what was the, what, what just won? I don't even know. But, but like the movie about Stephen Hawking, there was like a fight scene where like everybody sort of came together. Like, it'd be great. Ten times a better movie, right? And so, um, but it's the best scene, right? Because it, it, they're, they're lined up together. They're running at each other. And the camera does the same thing in all of them. They don't even try and change it. It's a formula. And thank God, like never change it, right? They show one side. And they like start walking. They show the other side. They start walking. They cut back. Now they're like jogging. And then they cut back. It's like, oh, they're jogging. We got to match that step, right? So they cut back. And then they like pan out. And this is the best thing. Like they're fully running at each other. And they just bam. It's just chaos. And like 
fight. Like, it's just sword play and everything awesome. All right, so this happens in every sort of like fantasy or hero, like epic movie that you see that's worth its salt, right? Uh, for the most part. And um, you know what? You, you see like swords and spears. And you know what you never see, though? It's like a dude carrying a gate. Right, like, boom, right? Like, you know why? Because gates are not offensive weapons. Swords are, spears are, fists, right? Not gates. Gates are defensive weapons. Uh, They're not even weapons. They're defense, right? It's like the Lord of the Rings. I'm sorry, I'm going all into the Lord of the Rings, right? The last thing that, that you guard is the gate. Like, retreat to the gate, retreat to the gate. And once the gates are down, you've lost. All right? So I want you to hear what Jesus is saying. He's saying, on this I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of death, Hades, the realm of the dead, will not prevail against the proclamation and the advancement of the church. What he's not saying is that the attacks of Satan won't hit you. What he's saying is that Satan cannot withstand the marching forward of the kingdom of God through the church. And in that, not only does he define what the church is, a community of people gathered around the truth and belief in he's the Christ, the son of the living God, but a people on mission to actually walk into the places where death is, to walk into the places where brokenness is, to walk into the places where darkness is, to walk into the places where people are hurting, marginalized, ostracized, broken by the sin of others, by their own sin, to walk into those places and to proclaim life. And the gates of hell will not prevail against the oncoming, in-breaking kingdom of God. That is something worth being a part of. Right? Huddle time in your little church building? Maybe not. But like going in and seeing death turn to life, seeing darkness filled with light, seeing the broken healed, right? That's worth being a part of. And that's what Jesus calls us to as a church. And we're going to look at that. So how do we then pray like Jesus did? uh, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in D.C. as it is in heaven. How do we live out that prayer? That's the next series. Man, I'm... I, I can start now, but we got to get back to Ecclesiastes. Um, and this last section, I had Joey read just a bit of it. <clears throat> but there's much more going on here. I wanted to do all of chapter 12 because it fits in with this pattern that we get in Ecclesiastes. And the pattern has been this. Ecclesiastes starts out a very morbid book. It starts out with Solomon like, ugh. Everything is vanity, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. A man's born and then he dies. And the earth, the ground, everything forgets his name. What's the point of anything? Right? And Solomon is looking at at life and he's saying, life has taught me one thing, that the only thing that happens to everybody is they die. So where do I find my meaning? And then Solomon takes this vexation, this, this sorrow, this, this, this just burden, this weight. And he says, all right, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure out what's the point of it. What is enough? 
What will be enough? How do I know that I am enough? Ultimately, you don't realize this, but this is a question of if you're using like a fancy biblical term, right, or Christian sort of theological term, Solomon is saying, he's talking about justification. This search for being enough. If I do this, then I will be enough. And so he says, first thing that I looked at was education and learning. Knowledge. If I just know enough, then I will be enough. And so the Bible talks about Solomon, and he says he set out to learn, he set out to learn and, and to know and to grow in knowledge and wisdom. The Lord said, Hey, I'll give you anything you want. And Solomon says, Well, what I want is wisdom. I want wisdom. And he goes after wisdom, and, and in, in chapter 1 of this book that we're going through, he gets all the wisdom that he wants, and this is what he says, for in much wisdom is vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrows. And so then he goes from education and knowledge and learning, and have you found that to be true? Like the more you know, like sometimes things actually don't seem better. Like the more you, un like you peel off the layers of like what's going on in the world and how things really work, like you actually feel more like, oh, this is dirty. Sometimes you even get like, like what, what even really can I do? When you learn how many children die a day, it's overwhelming. And not just die a day, die a day from preventable diseases or starvation. When you learn, when you learn about the world, you realize like it is overwhelmingly broken and it is a burden that I cannot bear and I don't know how to even make a difference. Right? Solomon says much knowledge brings much sorrow because this world is broken and we, we have to admit that. And I don't think you have to go far to see it. You don't have to like go and look. We, we like to look across oceans to see brokenness, but it's right here in our own backyard. And so Solomon says, you know what, really, there's nothing I, should, I can do, so whatever. I'm just going to pursue pleasure, any kind of pleasure, from, from like eat, eat, drink, and be merry. So eat to the full, drink till you're drunk, um, enjoy life. He, he talks about like uh, collecting beautiful things, whether it be art or buildings, or um, he talks about like sexuality, like I poured myself into it. I, poured myself into to sexual pleasure. And all of it left me empty at the end. Like in the moment, it was great, right? In the moment, it was, it was great. But then it, the moment was over, and all of the weight and all of the worry and all of the anxiety that I had, man, it was still there. So I said, no, I'm going to build something that lasts. And he realized, I can build a great temple. I can build a great kingdom. I can work my butt off, I can pour myself into my work, and it's not enough, right? It's not enough. Solomon got everything you ever wanted, not even just that he wanted. Solomon got everything you ever wanted, and it was not enough. 
And then finally, he kind of comes to the, to, to the crux of it all, and it starts in chapter 11 of Ecclesiastes. He says, listen to this, light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 7. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But do not, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. What he says is this, like, actually, and, and I, I think he's talking to, like when he says the teacher, the preacher, the philosopher, I think he's talking to his, his sons and his younger friends and the young men and women who are, are going to be sort of taking the mantle next. And he's saying, listen to me. I've said that there's not enough knowledge to satisfy your soul. There's not enough pleasure. There aren't enough relationships. There's not enough justice. You can't work hard enough. And you still don't believe me. I've said, look at my life. And you still don't believe me. And the reason is, and I think that if you're over, say, 45, you may understand this a little bit better. And look, I don't pretend to be an old, wise man. I'm 33. I'm young. I get it. But I think if you're over 45, maybe even 50, I don't know, you'll get this more clearly than if not. But we who are younger need to hear it. The light grows dimmer. The days feel shorter. Solomon says, like, the reason you can't hear me is because you're young. But let me tell you something. Youth isn't enough because you won't be young for long. Life moves quickly. Like, I have mile markers for this. Like, nobody, I, I doubt, maybe some of you, besides my two children, I don't think anybody in here would call me particularly old. But when I look at my kids and realize I'm going to have a 10-year-old soon, I say, like, I remember being 10. It doesn't seem that long ago. Oh, it was 23 years ago. I'm about to have a 10-year-old. Like, where did all of this go? Like, so I'm, I'm at a point now uh, where, like, man, 10 years ago, I would go to sleep in pain, and I wake up straight. Like, yeah, we're good to go, right? <laughs> now there are times where I go to sleep fine and wake up in pain. Right? Like, it's, it's just coming. It's coming. Listen to what he says. He says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Enjoy your youth. Be happy with your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Listen to this. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for your youth and the dawn of life are vanity. What he's saying is while you can, enjoy your life. While you can, put away pain. Not because like, th not, this isn't the moral of the story. We're not done. 
right? But he's saying because there will come a point, and I've seen it, if you've cared for people or been with people at the end of their life who've lived long lives, I'm not talking about people where, like, cancer stole life from them, but, like, you've seen, like, a great-grandparent or a grandparent just walk through the end of life, and you see where, like, they wake up, and you can't understand it, but every day they wake up, and there's almost this sense of, like, dang, I woke up again. Like, I was kind of just hoping to rest. Right? Like, when you see that, what you realize is Solomon is saying, because there's a day that's coming where the darkness in your eyes, sort of the the light in your eyes, you can't just put it back. And there's a day that's coming where you can't just walk off the pain. Your youth is fleeting. This is why it said youth is wasted on the young, because it's fleeting and we don't realize it. And in a minute, you're looking back at a life. In a minute, you're looking back and saying, man, where did it go? So Solomon is saying, live it out. So listen to me. He's talking to us now. He's saying, look, youth, young people, young folk, right? Like he's doing that. Like he's an old head. Just like, listen to me, right? And you don't want to listen, but listen to him. He says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you say, I have no pleasure in them. It means now when like you wake up and you're looking forward to things instead of just looking back on things, remember the creator now. Let him shape your youth. And we'll explain why in just a moment. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the cloud returns after the rain and the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent. This is talking about mourning if you can't hear it. Like, these, this isn't some sort of, like, crack the, the code, right? The, the keepers of the house tremble. Like, they're trembling through weeping. The strong men are bent over, and the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut. And the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of the bird, and all the daughter's songs are low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond trees blossom, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the street. Saying this is coming, but, but before the silver cord is snapped, before this, this, I think Douglas Adams, who wrote The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, actually an atheist guy, I think he wrote it best, especially from a perspective not looking at the Lord as center. He said, like this blip of an existence, before this blip is over, And the dust returns as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote the words of truth. And so he says, now listen to me. Before long, in your youth, now while you have energy and vigor and brightness of eyes and hope, in your heart, 
Return to the Lord. Return to the Lord. And this is why he says it. He says, look, the words of the wise are like goads. I love that. Here's a wise man saying, basically what I'm doing is like nails on chalkboard, right? Yeah, nails on chalkboard. Um, The nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these of making many books, there is no end. And of much study is all the weariness of the flesh. He's like, look, everybody's going to come and they're going to tell you, here's how you live the good life. And you've seen it, right? Like, the irony is not lost on me that essentially what I'm saying is, here's what the good life looks like. And then saying, but everybody's telling you, here's what the good life looks like. Right? I want to explain to you, hopefully, though, in the next couple minutes while we, while we wrap up, what I think the difference between what Solomon says and everything else you see is. Because here's what everything you say, here says um, and C says, and, and this is what's fascinating to me. Everything says, yeah, life is short, so here's how you live the good life, and everything has laws for you. Everything has rules, right? You walk down, you go to Giant or Harris Teeter or wherever you shop, Right, and you go down the aisles to check out, right? And what do you see? Magazines, right? And what do they have? Law. You never thought about it, right? But they have law. Here's 20 steps to the best pleasure you've ever had. Here's 15 things you can do to be a better human being. Here's six ways that Chris Pratt went from pudgy funny guy on NBC to like, a-list hunk in Guardians of the Galaxy. Here are eight exercises that will take you from this to like JP, right? Like <laughs> this, is, this is the way that you can be better. Do these things and be better. Do these things and enjoy your life. And everything gives you law. Whether the law is no more, whether the law is have more fun, whether the law is do this and don't do that, right? Religion gives you so many rules and laws. I'm not just talking about like Christianity. I'm talking about religion in general. Do these things, don't do these things, and you'll be okay. But that's not what Solomon in the Bible is actually giving you. And look, there are a lot of rules in the Bible There's a lot of laws. There's a lot of things written in it. But ultimately, that's not the purpose or the point. Listen, this is what Solomon says. This is the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. That word fear is not like if there was a giant snake in here, like fear, where I would scream and run out. I would literally just leave y'all to handle yourselves. Like, I love my children, but if it's a snake, like, they just need to catch my cues and run with me um, because fear. It's not like that. It's not like fear of something. It's not fear of, like, a terrorist attack. It's not. Because God is, (laughs) God's not a terrorist. And he's not a snake looking to, like, bite you or sort of, like, wiggle his tail with, and scare you away. That's not what it means. 
When it says fear, that word there, probably better translated awe, wonder, awe at the Lord, and walk in his words. Awe, wonder, marvel at the Lord. So how can he say that? Well, he says this, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And here's what I don't know that Solomon understood yet, but the truth of it is that we cannot read Ecclesiastes apart from the gospel. We as Christians now are, uh, we are, uh, we necessarily read Ecclesiastes in the light of Jesus. And we begin to see some things that God is worth marveling at because as Hebrews says, Jesus is the image of, or sorry, Colossians says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews says he's the full radiance of his glory. If you want to know what Jesus is like or what God is like, look at Jesus. And when you look at Jesus, you awe and you wonder at the people that he chose to spend his life with at the ways that he chose to give of his love, his anger, his laughter, you marvel at this truth that Jesus is God in flesh who sees the desperation of our hearts, who wrote the eternity into our hearts, and then says, and I'm going to come fill eternity by being with you. We look at the universe and its complexities we look at life and its complexities, and we say, this is the Christian belief, that there is a God who set all of these things into motion. And this God who is big enough to set the universe in motion at the same time is mindful of you, knows you. Now allow for a second that. What does that lead to? Question. How? Why? Do you know what those questions are? Those are the first signs of wonder. Awe. How can it be? How can this be that God loves me? God loves you. And here's the thing is he, this is what Paul says in Romans, right? That he demonstrated this love, not only by coming to be with you, but God demonstrates his love that while we were running away from him, running from the very thing that was meant to be the source of filling the eternity in our hearts, while we ran away from him, while we were yet sinners, he died for us so that he could be with us. He loves you. I think we hear a lot about God, right? And I want for a second, I want you to hear this. Of all the things that you've heard about God, like first and foremost, it's not, the Bible doesn't start with God is angry at you. The Bible doesn't start with God is out to get you. The Bible starts with God calls you son and daughter. He loves you. When you experience the love of God, when you receive it and believe into that love, it changes you. Have you ever thought about that? Seriously, God loves you. The God of the universe loves you. He loves you. And then Jesus comes in and he says, all of the commandments of God can be summed up in this. Love God back. And love your neighbors as yourself. And this is all in the law 
of the law and the prophets. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And and this is all Moses, the law, and the prophets. Everything that's been written before, all the wisdom, all the law, all the literature that has come before, the entire Old Testament actually is meant to be wrapped up in those two things. Love God and love others. And listen, friends, this this is only possible, honestly, and only possible when you are assured of an unending, eternal, weighty, love. Do you realize that when you realize that in Christ you are fully loved, that there's nothing you can do or fail to do to be any more loved by God than you are right now in him or any more accepted than you are right now in him, then you are now free to love other people. Loving other people is hard, right? Because people suck sometimes. Let's be real. Right? Like you've been around people where you try and love them, but man, they're unlovable. And it's just giving, 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 and there's no receiving. It's not reciprocal. Well, when you realize that God is eternal and he loves you eternally, then you are able to give knowing that you don't need to receive from them because the Father supplies all that you need. You're able to serve and give... This next series, Kingdom Come, we're able to live this out because, honestly, I don't need money because the God who loves me owns the cattle on the thousand hills. He owns everything, which means he can take care of me now. And because he loves me, I can bet my life and my well-being and even my family on that and serve others. The love of God literally frees you from the fear of worthlessness and death so that you can love and serve others. And Solomon says, if you catch that in your youth, or if you catch that right now while there's light in your eyes, you will not believe the life that you will live and the things that you will do and the ways that you will see the kingdom break into your life and into the life of your city, your community, your work, your friends, family. Let's live in the light of the love of God. Let's fear and awe and tremble and wonder and amazement at the vastness of God and the depth of his love for us. Let's pray.